You are listening to Generation Cryotopia. Utopia. This is the show where tomorrow's generation reject dystopia, abandon utopia, and instead embrace protopia, a world where every day we take small steps to make tomorrow better than yesterday. This podcast is brought to you by Proteus Theatre. To find out more about what they do, visit proteustheatre.com Who is joining the conversation today? Hi, I'm Phoebe. I'm a 17-year-old at college and I do sociology, product design and photography. I'm Poppy, I'm 17 and I do politics, law and drama at AA level. I'm Tabby, I'm 18 and I should be doing drama and theatre studies at degree level. In this edition, we will consider what it means to reach for protopia in a world that has been changed, perhaps forever, by coronavirus. What new normality do we want? How can we achieve the social justice we crave? And how can we preserve the environmental benefits that came with lockdown? Phoebe, why is normality important? I think normality is important because as humans, we really base ourselves on some sort of normality, whatever that is. Is our normality to go to work and work and come home and have a family? Everyone strives for some sort of normality because you always strive for some sort of future. You strive to be an actor, you strive to be... A scientist, normality is about what you see yourself doing. What Even if you see yourself travelling and doing something different every day, you see yourself travelling. And that's why I think normality is important. Poppy, will it be a good thing if our normality changes? I think what we've seen over this lockdown is that actually normality as we know it is probably going to change. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. And I think that actually the idea of like, you know, should we just keep normality even if it's not good or healthy is actually very destructive and it's not sustainable. So what we've seen over this lockdown is improvements in climate change, improvement in talks about race and discrimination. We've seen more talk about kind of mental health, more about the arts. I think that there is a need and a want for change And even things like masks is going to be a new normality, which obviously wasn't the case before, at least in this country. But yeah, I think it's I think it's healthy to change. I don't think change is something we should be afraid of. Tabby, what kind of new normal would you like to see established? I think it's a, a range of things, more care towards action 
like the different movements that have been going on. I've seen a lot of people become more politicized, which I think is really important. I think climate change is the real big crisis that mm. is facing us. And I feel like a lot of the response we took to the pandemic should be taken in action towards the climate crisis. So for instance, when fighting it, a lot of countries that were quick to go into lockdown, so for instance, New Zealand, got out quicker and actually had less cases. Whereas, for example, the US or us, countries that were slower in going to lockdown did have a worse outcome. And I think that swiftness should be taken in tackling climate change. So there was an interesting quote, um, and it was by Donald P. Francis, who was an epidemiologist during the AIDS epidemic. And he said, firefighters fighting a fire need quick and aggressive action works quicker. Um, so there's less damage. So basically what he's saying is, and I think this is should be applied to climate change, is that the slower we take to make any changes, even small, the more damage we have and the less time we have. We need like a consensus in our society that we don't have of like a sort of community. Yes. And of yeah. like an agreement on, okay, like climate change, wow, this is really rubbish, you know? Yeah. This is so, what have we done? <laughs> what have we done? Yeah. We need to make difference. And yeah. we can't, I, I agree, quick change needs to happen, but mm. quick change is so difficult in a, in a society that doesn't have a real consensus on value consensus or norm consensus with this world, especially mm. how it is with billionaires and people who run this world that, you know, is it is it really for all or is it for a minority in your view what are the key steps required to maintain the environmental benefits of lockdown i think it's encouraging working from home where possible um i think you know just from talks with my parents and people who are working a lot of them are like actually there is a lot we could do at home people have found a way to do it like you would only need to go into a meeting once a month because a lot of them can be done over things like zoom i think it's also you know still encouraging people to obviously exercise and use bicycle lanes like where they can but equally like there does have to be more of an emphasis on actually making bicycle lanes especially in places like london because it is possible to do that i think the other thing as well is really holding big companies accountable and i understand the fact that they do make a lot of profit and a lot of money that goes into the economy but equally if we don't start holding them accountable and start making them pay higher taxes for example we're not going to have a planet that you can make any profit off of do you know what i mean so mm -hmm. yeah i would say those are probably the three main steps i you know obviously there would always be more but i think it's a bit ridiculous you know that over like three months the planet has gained you know, it's definitely it's, the point is that it's improved, yeah. and that was over a three month period. So, yeah, Tammy, what steps might we take to build a wealthy and sustainable economy? For me, someone who talks about money so much, I do not know the first thing about economics. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's about creating and innovating in new green renewable energy, so that would create jobs because engineering stuff like that and those sectors and building upon that and i think investment in those new green 
things. And I think tax. <laughs> tax the tax, rich. Tax the Just rich. tax the rich. It's all it is. Yeah. And when people hear tax the rich, they assume, oh, they're going to tax everybody. But no, it's about mm. actually thinking it's really unethical to be a billionaire. Tammy Howard increasing taxes for wealthy people help build a green economy. Because it's putting money back into the people. No one is a billionaire by working hard. That is a misconception, the American dream, all that. If someone becomes a billionaire by exploiting people, mm. that's, that's the truth of it. Or inheriting large amounts of cash. And you have people like Jeff Bezos, who's the richest man in the world, has like, isn't he on the way to becoming the first trillionaire? Yeah. Like, it wouldn't even be that much of a dent. No, it would be like... 10% or something. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of celebrities, when they were donating, actually, during the BLM movement, um, it's actually not a large percentage of their wealth. It's like if I was donating, like, a tenner. So what I'd say with that is I think it's... I think one celebrity... I can't remember what celebrity it is, but they took 77 flights in one year. I haven't taken a flight in free yeah. i cannot imagine it's more i think it's more about knowing that some people who are hoarding money needs to go back into things like public transport for instance mm. a lot of people don't take public transport because it's oh it's not as dirty and if we invested in public transport to create greener methods so for instance electric buses mm -hmm. then that would make a huge difference the economy and the climate and also um housing so instead of creating the same um houses which are not sustainable maybe going into and creating more economically viable sustainable green innovative housing so that's how we should really aim to make a green economy and vote people in who care about that as an issue and not shopping at places where we know that they exploit their workers yeah. and they are not doing anything to help the climate. I would like now to turn to the subject of social justice. In an earlier episode, we discussed the inequalities exposed by the coronavirus pandemic and the anger at the killing of George Floyd in the United States. Before we discuss the steps we might take to achieve greater equality, I would like you to hear the story that you may find distressing. This story is a reminder that racist violence happens here in Europe also, and it happens to people we know. Umar Butt is an associate artist at Proteus Theatre. When telling a story, I think my story is a little bit different and a little bit difficult because I'm also a refugee in the UK, or I have been. Lockdown has been terrible for me. It's done a lot of good for me in the sense of finding myself, and it's given me time to kind of reflect on a lot of different things. However, it has uncovered something that I have suppressed for about 30 years of my life. Um, I was eight when I was in a little camp in the jungle, Calais, in France. 
we were refugees and it was brilliant at that time because um, all I can remember is how warm the sun was. I can remember laughter. I can remember having my, my stomach filled and filled with loads of different types of food because of the loads of different nationalities and the culture was so vibrant and music was was so loud and beautiful and and also quite quite harrowing because uh, sometimes you couldn't go to sleep because people were playing music all the time. However, there was a, a day I, I will never forget. One of my best friends, Sarah, she was eight as well. They were from Iran. Uh, me, my mum and my older sister, we were from Pakistan. We were living in the same camp. And we used to get these coupons. And every Friday, we used to go out to buy milk and bread and eggs, necessities, really. And so we'd, we'd go to these three, four shops, and we'd go together, me and Sarah. And then one day, I was a bit lazy. I didn't used to like mornings that much. So one day, Sarah went herself. Uh, I woke up, and I asked Sarah's dad where she was, and, and he kind of like just said, oh, you know, she's early riser, so she she just went herself. Incidentally, that day we had riots outside the camps. Uh, the people who didn't want us there were shouting, throwing alcohol bottles, you know, like fire uh, into the camp itself, and and it was horrible. Anyway, it was about I remember about eight o'clock, nine o'clock uh, in the evening, and and the police came into the camp looking for Sarah's father. And it was quite horrific because they couldn't find Sarah anywhere. And then they found Sarah's body, uh, battered body. And um, they had to seal the camp off. And they had to literally lock down the camp itself because it wasn't safe for all of us to live there anymore because Sarah passed away because of the atrocities, what's happening outside the camp itself. So when I heard about this lockdown situation, it just uncovered a lot of that, that suppressed memory. And it was horrific for me. Poppy, would you like to respond to what we had just heard? I mean, I think it's obviously very upsetting. It is frustrating that some human lives are devalued just because they were displaced from their homes. And it is... You know, even though Umar's story was from 30 years ago or so now, that violence still continues today. I guess in a sense, the people who have been through trauma like that, their stories are not always at the forefront in this country. Yeah. They probably should be, actually. It's the narrative that some people don't want to hear. Yeah. They're kind of seen as a mass rather than individual people. Yeah. And it just, I just think it shows we are going through such a like change and people are, are shouting, we're calling out, we're saying we need to change this. Like, uh, oh, I heard someone say this, I heard someone say, we are not a species made of races, we are a human race. And that is that. And to devalue someone so much to even dehumanize them, to make them almost worthless, they can die is so disgusting to me and really upsetting for I think so many people and that's why I think that 
at the moment, stories like Umar's need to be heard. Like, yeah. those stories need to be at the forefront. You know, we don't need another white person, generally. Yeah. We don't need these people who are, are so privileged in general life. We need to hear the voices of people who have had their value taken from them and give them it back. So you are valued and we need to hear your voices, your stories. Tapping to achieve a more empathetic and equal society is it as simple as making sure that unheard voices have opportunities to be heard? I think we need to take those steps and I think it's important for those stories to be heard. I think it's complicated because there needs to be some policy to put in place. Yeah. I mean, if you look at certain, like, the girl who went to ISIS. And oh, um, Shamina Begum, Begum, that's yeah. The amount of people who were like, oh, she shouldn't come back to this country. And yeah. who were horribly racist to this girl who was groomed. And and in this country. In this country. And we in have this to country. Take, you know, it wasn't like she was groomed in another country and then came over here and claimed that she was from ISIS and then was forced to leave. No, she was groomed in this country. She was a minor at the time. I understand that there is a fear of terrorism in this country, but actually if you look at the statistics, domestic terrorism is a much higher risk and than international terrorism, but international terrorism gets a lot more coverage. Um, so yes, I think it whilst I think it's incredibly important to hear those voices and to tell those stories and to humanize these people. I think change has to be implemented, especially with the way our media presents. Phoebe. In your view, how has your generation in particular been affected by the crisis the world has experienced this year? I think our generation have proved that we're a strong generation who we, we believe in change. The things that have gone on through these months, first of all, lockdown has brought us all into this sort of weirdly tighter community of of our generation and also just generally in the world and I think that that's why we've had such a strong reaction to George Floyd's death and and the Black Lives Matter movement and you know the atrocities in Yemen those things I just think that what we're going to be seeing and I really hope that we'll be seeing is we're building this collective of we are not separates we are one and we will work together and we will change. And that is what I think the biggest important thing is, is because, no, the whole idea of Protopia is, you know, small change makes difference. And that's what I think our generation is also. We will make change and we will make a difference. We will not be perfect completely, but we will be better. Tabby, do you believe your generation is more determined to create change despite the challenges you face with regard to education and employment? Yes, I think we are. I've seen it. I've seen my friends who went from, I think before lockdown, we were all quite happy-go-lucky. We didn't understand how things could affect us. And that's why I feel like this year, as much as the awful things that have happened to it have been important for my development as a person and for a lot of people, because it realises that some things do affect us. Um, more than we had realised before. And it is very scary for a lot of people, and for me included, 
because I'm going to university, you guys are going into your next year of college and then on to university with an economy that is not where it was at the start of this, where um, job opportunities are not the same. But I think we are strong. We have proven that we are strong. And I think it's not going to dishearten us. I think it's just going to motivate us and make us be like, we want this change. And that's what I've seen is people becoming more politicized, people understanding more things, people getting angry and upset and wanting that change and being able to use the platforms we have when we are able to get jobs, wherever sector we are to make that change. Okay. Do you feel more fear for the future than you did before the pandemic? Yeah, I think probably yes. Yes, I think there is probably more fear, I think, because of the way that things have panned out. There are opportunities that I would have had certain things that I have not been able to do. But I also think that there is a lot of like hope for the future. I think as much as like education wise, like I'm very scared about like the future and what uni is gonna look like. Um, but equally, I think in terms of society, I think that there is a real push for, for change. And I think just going back to like our generation, I think we'll tell like, a police officer to like shut up but like we're still too anxious to like go and you know like answer the phone or something yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? so it's like yeah I think there is a bit of a unity in, in what has happened for all generations I also hope I, I hope it gives us the ability to look at different generations and be like okay right well we all went through this together and you know we all had different experiences and obviously we have social media as well um which i think has also given us a lot of like hope and and a platform to kind of i think it's express it's, voices we've been able to use it as more of a positive tool yeah definitely yeah. and it's and i think there is so much like sorry go on i right. just think <laughs> that technology and the fact that we've had a social platform has given us such an ability yeah. that most generations slightly millennials but i think that ours is so fast paced that it's given us the ability to have this sort of massive worldwide community and connection and yeah i think we use it in a slightly different way as well mm. yeah because at the beginning of lockdown it was a lot of like the same and i hated or social like, media or like yeah. distracting yourself or distracting an escapism and i'm i like escapism i indulge in it myself <laughs> but i absolutely hated social media because yeah. of what it represented before lockdown and now that everything has happened mm. it's i found it such an important tool yeah, yeah. that's true actually because you you like deleted instagram didn't i you? i was you going like did through, a real cleanse i you're like no through. more for me <laughs> i was going through a pretty tough time at around february january march before lockdown wasn't great. in that order in that yes that's how <laughs> the months go but and i was like social media isn't doing well every time i'm mm. on it i feel depressed i'm just gonna delete it and i did and then i got on it back again around i don't know Feb. I, I went through it in waves i told you like april yeah something. around april back on instagram and that's when st things started moving a lot more yeah in the movements and stuff and i started seeing my social media use less recreationally but more mm. educationally yeah and definitely. that's what i've been saying to my parents because my parents as much as I love them, you know, a lot yeah. of older generations think, oh, social media is just posting a it's picture a of my coffee. And it's yeah. a lot of, yeah, and it's a lot of misconception. But actually, the majority of my screen use is used to reading different resources in the news, yeah. getting multiple sources, learning more about the world I live in and preparing yeah. myself. And I think 
that is such a positive change mm, from where social media was for me at least um at the beginning and di diversifying your feed yeah. i follow way more different yeah. people than i did in january yeah same same we are going to end our conversation here i would like to ask each of you for your commitment to building protopia phoebe i think that especially from this conversation, I think education, educating yourself on those things. You have a massive platform. You have social media. You have all these resources. You have voices. Go find those voices to hear. Don't yeah. just sit around and wait for them to come to you. Educate yourself. I think the same with Phoebe. I think education, being a good ally, um, knowing to use my voice for good, um, I think also developing my usage of my time during different things. So educating myself on wider issues. You know, I think I try and aim to learn about a new thing each day, maybe read a paper on it, maybe learn something like to do with politics or something like that. And then I try and I think for me, it's about having com difficult conversations with people because that's how I was able to, you know, bring my friends more into politics because it used to be like December general election, I was told to calm down and that politics was not a big deal um, when I was talking about it. Whereas now it's more like, yes, we're going to talk about politics. And I feel like we should direct that in the right direction and have discussions because the only way we're going to make any change and develop anything is if we have those discussions and make them open and make them safe. Okay. Yeah, so kind of building off what Tabby said about kind of conversations, I think, yeah, like that is also, an, of course, education, but I think conversations about what you've learned, um, difficult conversations with your family, with your friends, um, people that you kind of need to be holding accountable still, but then actually taking action. Thank you, Poppy, Tabby, and Phoebe for your contributions. And thank you who have listened. If you have enjoyed Generation Protopia, please share this podcast with your friends. We look forward to your company in the next edition. Until then, goodbye.